Lionel Messi makes his debut for PSG in his first game away from Barcelona. Jake Paul beats Tyrone Woodley in a major boxing fight. And the Baltimore Ravens lose running back J.K. Dobbins for the entire season. All of that and more, plus part two of my NFL predictions, if we have time. This is Beyond the Game, the new podcast brought to you by the World of Sports Media Network. Here we go. So, soccer. I'm not a big soccer fan. You guys probably know that. But... I've opened with it yesterday, and I'm going to open with it again today because soccer seems to be what's causing all the major headlines. Lionel Messi made his debut yesterday for PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, his first game not as a member of Barcelona, which is a big deal um, because he's always been with Barcelona for all of his club events. Now, in Paris Saint-Germain, they won 2-0. Messi was a backup. He came in as a sub late in the game. Uh, didn't do much, really didn't do a whole lot. He did complete all but one of his passes. He was 20 for 21 there, so uh, good job on his part. But the big story from that is uh, obviously Mbappe, who scored both the goals, but apparently he wants to be traded to Real Madrid. So that causes a little bit of a, a bit of a dilemma for PSG because finally they have a big three, right? Neymar, Mbappe, and now Messi. Three of the best players in the world. Three guys who at some point in their careers have been the best player in the world. Now, here they are with a chance to uh, a chance to have pretty much almost what you consider a super team. It's kind of on the level of the Warriors, I would say. Um, and now, of course, now Mbappe wants out. So, that's going to be interesting to see um, what happens with there. But yeah, people are, you know, you got to love the downers, you know, these PSG fans. Well, we got messy, but we're going to lose Mbappe. So basically, these, you know, they're being pretty negative about it. But hopefully, PSG can figure out a way to keep them together because that would be so fun to get to see those three on the field for more than just one game. But hey, even if it was just for one game, to see Messi, Neymar, Mbappe all on the same field is a cool sight to see. And look, I'm rooting for Messi. I like, I, I like the guys who are good. I like the champions. I like the ones who are the best. I always have been that way. So yeah, I'm rooting for Messi. I hope he has success. I hope this is not like just sort of a one or two year thing and he's just going to kind of fizz- fizzle out as a sub and not do a whole lot and then ultimately retire. Like I hope that he legitimately plays a role in PSG and I hope that with him, PSG will continue to improve and be one of the best teams in the world. So anyways, there's uh, my bet on Messi. Other ways in soccer news, Tottenham leads the Premier League right now. Uh, Arsenal's in last place, the first time that has ever happened on the standings. They head into the international break right now. Uh, Wolfsburg is leading the Bundesliga. So Wolfsburg on top for the Germans, Tottenham for the English Premier League. But the big story is not about Tottenham. The big story is Manchester United because they have set a record that probably is unbreakable. 28 straight road wins. They've won 20 straight... I mean, wow. Wow. They're, they're right now they're in third place. I think uh, now that they have Ronaldo, I think they have to be considered the favorites to win the Premier League. Uh, but right now they're in third. But 28 road wins in a row. I mean, that is just incredible. I'm a football fan. And as a football fan, I understand, you know, how fo- American football. As an American football fan, I understand just how important an opposing crowd can be. Because crowds really do, and, you know, especially as, as a Seahawks, I'm from Seattle. As a Seattle fan, especially, I understand the way that an opposing crowd can affect 
the culture in an arena and how difficult it can be for you to go in, go into an opposing team stadium and deal with the obnoxity of the fans and the loudness and deal with not being in your home turf, not being in your home area and still managing to go in there and get a win. You know, to win five road games in a row is impressive. 10 is very impressive. 15 is incredibly difficult. 28 is unheard of. And I really don't think this record's ever going to be broken. I mean, the fact that somebody won 27 at some point is crazy to me. But Man United, 28 straight road wins. It takes a level of maturity, I think, and a level of grown-upness to be able to be at that level. Because it it's certainly difficult to win on the road, much more difficult than to win at home. So they're third place right now. But I think they have to be viewed as the obvious favorite to win it. Uh, their best player right now, Mason Greenwood, became the fourth youngest player to ever score 20 goals in Premier League history. So congratulations to him. He's on fire. And Manchester United probably is going to end up winning the Premier League. And we might see them winning the Champions Cup too at this rate. Also, one more a little bit in soccer news. Uh, a little bit of a local thing for me because they play right here in Seattle. The OL Reign just set the United States Women's Soccer League record in attendance. They had 27,248 fans in attendance of their game, which was at Lumen Field, actually. Uh, Lumen Field right in Seattle. And they won the game 2-1. to one. Megan Rapino scored both goals. What's new? She is probably the best uh, soccer player maybe in the country, certainly on the team. She's definitely one of the top players in the country. So the pink-haired wonder Megan Rapino continues to do the unheard of in women's soccer. She just has been a dominating force for so long and helping her team do another win. So yeah, the rain setting the attendance record. Congratulations to them. Uh, and also a little bit for the Sounders, uh, Seattle Sounders three players going to play an international play. Alex Roldan to El Salvador, Xavier Orega to Ecuador, and Brad Smith, which is just the most generic Australian name I've ever heard of. Brad Smith. He's playing for Australia's national team, so congrats to all three of them. All right, so the big news of the day, which I've been saving for now, but the big news of the day, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, last night they fought in a pay-per-view boxing match. I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch the fight, but I did see the highlights. It looked to me like one boxer was fighting for his ego, and one boxer was fighting for nothing. Jake Paul, you could tell. You could tell Jake Paul was going for his ego. He was going for his sense of self. His self-worth partially was determined on how he did in that fight. You could tell he wanted it very badly because he cared about it and he cared about his self-image and he cares about it for his ego. Tyron Woodley looked like he didn't care at all. Um, from what I could, from what I saw, you know, Woodley ha he had a great, great fight. I think it was around three or four when he knocked. He came very close to knocking out Jake Paul. Paul was on the ropes. Um, and he was looking like he was probably going to lose. After that, Woodley just kind of shut down, though. Like, it seemed like he wasn't trying. He was... Jake Paul probably threw at least double the punches, probably maybe three times the amount of punches. Uh, so Paul clearly was trying harder. Uh, he was more invested in the fight. It looked to me like Tyron Woodley just wasn't invested. So, um, you know, maybe this is... Maybe, maybe Woodley's just not a good boxer. I know he doesn't box much. Um, but Jake Paul's not a good boxer either. So he, it should have been it should have been easy for Woodley to win and he lost. Uh Jake Paul obviously improving his record to four and O. So he's still undefeated. Supposedly he's retiring. Or he made a tweet that he's retiring. We'll see if that comes to be. 
What I'm looking for, I want to see Logan Paul versus Jake Paul. I think that would be hilarious. Um, but for now, Jake Paul apparently is retired. You know, uh, the, the Tyron Woodley challenged him to a rematch, uh, but Logan or Jake Paul said he has to get a tattoo saying "I love Jake Paul." So that'll be interesting to see if that ever comes to happen. Um, but yeah. You have to wonder, you know, was Woodley doing this for a statement? Was he trying to make a statement like, hey, I want to fight a real fighter? Uh, so that's why it was, you know, was he trying to just make a mockery of Jake Paul by not trying? Uh, which is possible. It's, it's entirely possible that Woodley's entire mindset was, look, if I don't try, then any win he gets is going to be viewed as illegitimate, which could be the case. Or maybe, and this and this is what a lot of people are saying on Twitter, and I don't, I don't know if I need to believe it. I don't like conspiracies a whole lot, but maybe, just maybe, Woodley was told not to try. Because I just find it hard to believe that Jake Paul could beat Tyrone Woodley like that. I mean, look, Jake Paul's not a boxer. Maybe he is. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he really is, and maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. But the dude's a Disney star. He was a Disney star, and then he turned into a YouTube star. Kind of tried to get a little rap career going. That didn't work out for him. The YouTube grind kind of kind of lost momentum for a while, and now he's a boxer. It could be entirely possible that that match was rigged. It could be entirely possible that it was fixed. Maybe it wasn't. I guess we'll never know. But what I but I think I do think that Jake Paul, I don't think he's done. I know he says he's retired. I do not think he's done. I think he's going to be back. Uh, he's going to fight in more matches because it gets the money. You know, Jake Paul brings in money. It's good for fighting. It's good for boxing. He's going to bring in more matches until eventually, once they've milked all the money they can out of him, and once his popularity once his popularity starts to go down again, because it will, because there's kind of a thing about Jake Paul. He goes up and down. He rides the waves. He goes up and down in the news. He never really stays around for a long time. So eventually, eventually they're going to decide, you know what, we're done with this guy. They're going to toss him aside. They're going to put him up against some insane fighter. And we're just going to, everyone's going to just watch as Jake Paul's going to get creamed, absolutely creamed. And then at that point, he's probably going to actually retire. But I don't think this retirement tweet is legit. I do think Jake Paul's going to be back. He's going to keep fighting until they've milked as much as they can out of him. And then they're going to send him home with a very, I think, a very shocking defeat. People are going to, we're going to, you're going to be surprised. But it's about, watch, next year around the same time, Jake Paul's going to lose badly to one of the better fighters in the world, and then he's going to call it quits. But for now, g- congratulations for your ego. You beat Tyron Woodley. Uh, and, and a lot of people are saying, you know, let's let's put him up against some better fighters now. See if he is legit. Let's see if he is legit. Did Tyron Woodley, was, was Tyron Woodley told not to try? Maybe he was. Maybe he did it on his own accord. Or maybe he's just not that good at boxing. I don't know. But it looked to me like Woodley wasn't trying very hard to win that fight. And I feel like he probably could have won if he had tried a little bit harder. Because there's that one, I, there, the clip of him when he, I mean, Jake Paul was on the ropes. He was on the ropes, and he looked like he was going to be out. But he somehow wasn't. And yeah, uh, at this point, I don't know. Maybe it's fixed, maybe it's not. I guess we'll never know. Also in the UFC, in the UFC news, uh, Razak Al-Hassan has set the record with a 17-second kickout the quickest uh, knockout in UFC history. So nice job to him. Uh, meanwhile, the Ravens, uh, moving to the NFL, the Ravens, J.K. Dobbins, the number one running back, who had a great rookie season last year. He's been injured uh, in the preseason. 
And so he's now out for the season towards ACL. Huge blow to Baltimore, who I do have as my Super Bowl favorites. I still do have them as my Super Bowl favorites, but I think the gap is starting to close between them and the Browns for that division because the Ravens' run game took a huge blow. At this point, they should definitely be looking right. They should be giving Todd Gurley a call right now and saying, Hey, Todd, we need you. (laughs) Get on over here. Yesterday, I was telling you guys how much the Cowboys need Nick Mullins. Today, I'm going to tell you how much the Ravens need to go get themselves Todd Gurley because Gus Edwards alone cannot carry this run game. Melvin Ingram's retired. They need to get someone, or Melvin, excuse me, Mark Ingram is retired. They need to get someone to get in on that running game. I think Todd Gurley is the perfect fit. He's in veteran back. He was he was actually not bad with Atlanta last year. I think they should give him a shot. Uh, I still think they are my Super Bowl favorite, but I think the Browns and the Chiefs are catching up to them in my favorites list, and you guys will see uh, more of my predictions eventually. But yeah, J.K. Dobbins out for the season. That's really a blow, and I it does beg the question, should the Ravens take the new approach of resting starters? Because a lot of teams with younger coaches and younger front offices have not been playing any starters at all in the preseason. And it seems like that's kind of paying off for them. I don't know exactly how, but you know, the Rams did it a couple years ago, went eight and zero out of the gate. The 49ers did it uh, a couple years ago and went nine and one out of the gate. This year, the Niners did play starters, uh, but mostly it's the younger coaches that aren't playing starters. The older coaches that are, Pete Carroll of the Seahawks, he adapted real, pretty well. He did not play a single offensive starter besides D. Eskridge, who is a rookie. Um, the Raiders, John Gruden, literally didn't even take his first team players on the plane. He just kept them at home. So the preseason didn't really matter, but yet the Ravens, they they tried very hard. They won all of their games. They've, they've won 20 consecutive preseason games, which is uh, the most in NFL history now. They've, so they have set that record. And Tyler Huntley was excellent for them, by the way. Their, their uh, third-string quarterback looked very, very good. Of course, who knows? I mean, he was playing against third-stringers on defense. Uh, but still, Ravens played most of their starters, and now see what happens. J.K. Dobbins is out for this season, which I don't think is good for them. I really don't. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I still think they're Super Bowl contenders, but it is interesting to see, you know, maybe they should go for this new trend of not playing starters. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the future of the preseason. It is kind of sad the preseason doesn't matter anymore. But like I don't, it doesn't matter at this point. The Ravens don't need to win these preseason games. I mean the Lions won four zero and then they went zero and sixteen. That was about two thousand eight. I'm pretty sure. But anything can happen in the preseason. It doesn't mean you're going to do it in the regular season too. And maybe the Ravens need to adapt to that because clearly the preseason doesn't matter. They yeah they've won twenty straight. But who does it affect? Is it just for John Harbaugh so that he can, you know, feed his ego? Look at me. I've won all these preseason games. Wow. Nobody cares. When you're getting starters, and J.K. Dobbins, he liked a tweet that said, you know, starters shouldn't be playing in the preseason. I don't know. I kind of like to watch the starters play like one drive and then, yeah, set them out. Go to the backups right away. Speaking of preseason injuries, Trey Lance, he was 6 for 13 on Saturday. He did score a rushing touchdown, but he hurt his finger. So he's going to be out for a week. This means Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get the entire next week of being the first team starter. So I think this means that anyone who uh, anyone who's projecting Trey Lance to start week one probably can get off of that train. I doubt, I highly doubt the 49ers would move to Trey Lance at this point after he misses a week of practice. 
It's entirely likely that they use him at some point, maybe the Trey Lance packages we've been hearing about. But as a starter, the chances of that right now seem to be very slim. So uh, that is the key with the 49ers. Trevor Lawrence, he was impressive in the preseason as well against the Cowboys yesterday, threw two touchdowns, had a very good performance there. Uh, Urban Meyer was hot, was full of praise, and the Jaguars probably are still a, bear, a terrible team, but good to know that Trevor Lawrence can beat the Cowboys backups pretty strongly. Uh, then we've got the Minnesota Vikings, a little bit of news on them. They have given a four-year, $64 million contract to Harrison Smith. Um, I hate to say it, but I don't think this is the right move for the Vikings. Harrison Smith is starting to get a little bit old, starting to get a little bit less productive, but they gave him a huge contract, so now it's up to him to prove that he is worthy of a four-year, $64 million. I mean, that's that's close to Jamal Adams' level, isn't it? Jamal got like four years, $68 million, I think, and the Vikings are giving Harrison Smith four sixty-four. So that is, that's a big, that's a real contract right there. Harrison Smith, the veteran safety for the Vikings. Uh, we'll see how the, I, I'm interested to see how the Vikings do this year. I'm not so sure they're going to be all that good, but it's entirely possible that they could compete for a playoff spot. I don't necessarily think they will, um, but it's possible. And uh, Harrison Smith certainly is one of their better players. He's probably their best player on defense at this point. Uh, a little bit of bad news for the Vikings. Tight end Irv Smith has a torn meniscus. He's injured for an un, an unknown amount of time. Uh, a couple of trades also going on in the NFL. The Texans have traded Shaq Lawson to the Jets for a sixth-round pick. A couple of years ago, this would have been bigger news, but at this point, Shaq Lawson is pretty much just an average player, so not huge deal. The Seahawks have also traded for Sidney Jones, also a sixth-round pick. goes to the Jaguars. Sidney Jones at one point was an all-pro college <clears throat> An all-pro college cornerback. Now he's just a backup. So the Seahawks, uh, one of the worst cornerback rooms in the league. They want a little bit more depth there. So I like the move for Seattle as a Seattle fan, but it doesn't really affect us all that much. Uh, the Colts have a couple of bad injuries. They've already, it's only the preseason, and the Colts are already the most injured team in the league. I swear, man, Carson Wentz, the injuries just follow him everywhere. So Wentz is, uh, supposedly Wentz is healthy now, and he's going to start week one. Uh, but the Colts better hope he is because Sam Ellinger, his backup, has a knee sprain. So if not Wentz, it will be Jacob Eason who takes the field in week one. And that would be a disaster for the Colts because Jacob Eason is not good. Um, also, the Colts have lost offensive tackle Sam Tevy for the season. He tore his Achilles, I believe. And T.Y. Hilton is also injured yet again. He seems to get injured every season now. I think this is his third straight year with an injury. He's done pretty much. I mean, at this point, he's done. And speaking of receivers who are done, Brashad Perryman was released by the Lions. So uh, unfortunately for him, it looks like his career might be winding to an end as well. Evan Engram, the tight end for the Giants, also is re-injured. He was injured last year too. So all these injuries, man, it's 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 rough. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been named as the Washington football team's starting quarterback. I think we all kind of saw that one coming. He's clearly better than Taylor Henneke. So uh, I guess good job to him, but I mean, I don't know. Not not much of a deal. I think Washington will be good this year, but not great. Uh, and Fitzpa Fitzpatrick is just like, I don't know how that guy keeps on getting starting jobs, but this is his fourth, this is going to be his fourth straight opening day start, his fifth in six years. Because he was with uh, he was with the Jets in 2016, 2017 he was the backup for the Bucks. 2018 he started Week One for the Bucks because Jameis was suspended, and then 2019 and 2020 back-to-back -back seasons with Miami, and then this year with Washington. So he just is bouncing all around the league. He's onto his 12th team now, 
Uh, but yeah, I guess fear the beard of Fitzmagic, because he's still around somehow um, with a starting job on a team with a great defense, so he could pick up some wins here. We'll see. Uh, and speaking of quarterback competitions, though, the Patriots still have not chosen their starter. I'm starting to think maybe it's going to be Mac Jones, and and that's, you know, it's a little bit disappointing because I like Cam Newton a lot. I love his outfits. I love his personality. I think he has a great personality. He's a, he's he's just a cool guy. He's a class act. Very cool. Um, I lo- I, like I said, I love the fashion. I, I love the the sense of humor that, that Cam has. But unfortunately for him, I think maybe the Patriots are, gonna, are about to announce Mac Jones is going to be that starter because, you know, if I'm an NFL coach, if I'm an NFL coach and, and I was going to go with Cam, I would announce it right away, you know. Former MVP, went to a Super Bowl, has had great seasons in his career. I would announce it right away. The, why wouldn't they be announcing it? Maybe they truly are still considering. But if they really are still considering, then boy, maybe Cam is done. Maybe Cam's finished. And that's kind of sad to think about because I, I love Cam. But I think Cam Newton might be finished in the NFL right now if, if things don't if things don't get a little bit brighter. Anyways, uh, that's that's pretty much all for the NFL. We'll be I'll be obviously continue to update throughout the week. Tomorrow is final roster cuts day, so a lot of players are going to join practice squads, and a lot more are going to be joining their mothers at home because they are about to get cut. Sad day for a lot of young guys, but it has to be done. Only 53 men allowed on the roster. Speaking of roster cut day, the Texans are now leaning towards not trading Deshaun Watson. Apparently, the Dolphins are not meeting their asking price, which, like I said in yesterday's show, good job on the Dolphins' part. You do not want Deshaun Watson if you're the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Brian Flores had some comment. You know, They're looking for class acts. They're looking for players with good personalities who bring uh, good morals and, and you know who are good people in the clubhouse. And uh, clearly, Deshaun Watson is not one of those good people. So good job on the Dolphins' part for not trading for him. The Texans said they are... They are ready to put Sean Watson on the roster. They're going to put him on the 53-man roster. And if he chooses not to play, he's not going to get his money. The Dolphins will declare him inactive. They are not going to, uh, at this point, no commissioner's exempt list yet. So he will be on the active roster, and he may play, and he probably won't. So that's the news for the NFL. Let's go to the MLB. The big story out of the MLB, the the New York Mets, uh, they have been pretty much booing their fans, which... I never thought I'd see it. Uh, Javier Baez, Kevin Pillar, and Francisco Lindor, three of the supposed stars on that team, uh, decided that when they get on base, they're going to make the thumbs down gesture uh, because they're mad at the fans. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I get it, being mad at your fans who are booing you. I, I Part of me gets it, but part of me just doesn't. Like, as a Mariners fan, excuse me, as a Mariners fan, I've booed my team so many times, I can't even remember how many... Like, I can't even count the amount of times I've booed my own team. Because they suck. They stink. The Mets... Met, maybe New York fans are just a little bit spoiled, but come on. I mean, you already have the Yankees who are doing good. Give the Mets a little bit of a break. And I get it. You know, Lindor and Baez were supposed to be really, really good. And they've kind of just been... You know, Lindor's been average. Baez has stunk ever since he got there. So I get it. I get why the fans are mad. I don't like necessarily the concept of the players um, of the players be- reacting in this way, but at the same time, it's not that big of a deal. It's honestly a little bit funny, um, you know. 
I, I feel like it, it, it actually sort of adds lightness to it in a sense. Javier Baez's interview, he seemed... He didn't seem necessarily like it was the biggest deal to him. It, the How do I put this? It seemed like Javier Baez was, in a sense, doing it in almost a sarcastic way. But also, yeah, like he, he, they are trying to send a message. You know, the players are trying to say, like, look, we don't like the booing. We want more positive support. But at the same time, I think, I think part of it is just like, yeah, you know, we're bad. We want to have a little bit of fun. We're going to put our thumbs down when we get a hit. And uh, the Mets management just went off at the players, had a big letter saying, you know, we do not condone this at all. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe this will continue. I suspect that it won't, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, you know, I do think that the players should have the right to do this, and they should have a right to do this, you know? If the fans get to boo, the players should get to boo them too. That's just how it works, you know? Uh, It'll be be hilarious to watch, I think. Uh, Just getting to see, you know, fans versus players... Never thought I'd see that one. I mean, the Mets have so many rivals already, but I guess now you can add their own fans to the list. So anyways, uh, that's the Mets. And but yeah, right at this point, the Mets have been on a huge losing streak. I think they've lost like 12 out of their last 15. They're down. They're way below. They're like five games below 500 now. So it's really not looking good for the Mets. Anyways, away from the Mets, let's go to some other baseball news. Jose Abreu became the first player to reach the 100 RBI mark. Good for him. The dude is insane. He won the MVP last year. A lot of people seem to have this idea that Abreu just hits for power. He's actually one of the best defensive first basemen in the league. He hits so many RBIs, scores a lot of runs, hits a lot of home runs, hits for good average. I mean, Abreu is a really good player. He's not having the same MVP season as last year, but I think a lot of people still, even after winning the MVP, a lot of people underrate Jose Abreu. Uh, also, Jose Otani, speaking of MVPs, he's going to be the MVP this year. Uh, he hit his 42nd home run and stole his 20th base, so he is now the first Japanese player to have a 40-20 season. He's not pitching right now. He is apparently feeling sore, so I wonder, you know, maybe his pitching days are limited. He might be just become a DH. Honestly, it wouldn't be the worst decision for the Angels, but Otani has been great as a pitcher too. But uh, at the moment, Otani, 42 home runs, leads the MLB. 20 stolen bases, which I had no idea he was so good at stealing bases until I saw he was at like 17 the other day. So yeah, first Japanese 40-20 season, good job to him. And he is the MVP frontrunner. A lot of people are starting to put these random other players that Salvador Perez, Salvador Perez has been great. And, you know, all great to him. He's hit five straight games with a home run. He's up to 37 now, which is the most of any AL catcher in the history of the MLB. So he did set that record. But still, he's not at the same level as Otani. Because Salvador Perez doesn't pitch. So Otani, yes, he is the MVP. And I don't want to hear any other players in that conversation. Uh, as far as the conversations go, though, how about Rookie of the Year conversation? Look, can we talk about Wander Franco for a second on the Rays? Uh, everyone was talking at the start of the season, Randy Rosarena on the Rays. Now Wander Franco is maybe even a little bit better. So he's a 29-game on-base streak, only, and he's 20 years old. 20 years old, and he's made, made a base 29 times. Only Mickey Mantle who reached base 36 straight times in 1951, has a higher on-base streak for a player 20 or younger. So Mantle was 20. He reached base 36 times in a row. So basically, Wander Franco, I guess, is he's the next Mickey Mantle. He's hitting 311 over that stretch. 
Uh, he has been the best rookie in the month of August by far, compared to the other big prospect that got called up recently, which was Jared Kelnick on the Mariners. Wander has been miles better. He, I mean, he's been so much better. So good job on Wander's part, and good job on the Rays, who've been able to develop him into such a good player. Uh, let's talk a little bit of... Uh, oh, oh, by the way, also for prospects, Kaber Ruiz on the Nationals was called up today. So he is the the final piece from the Trey Turner-Max Scherzer trade. So he is he's the catcher that the Dodgers sent over. He got one for four in his first major league game and was catching his fellow prospect, Josiah Gray. So congratulations to him on getting the big league call-up. Hopefully, Kiebert Ruiz will be good for the Nats because if not, that's going to look like a pretty bad trade, trading away your franchise shortstop and uh, you know one of the best pitchers you've ever had in Max Scherzer. Obviously, Scherzer's a one-year rental and Turner is a two-year rental, but still... Uh, those guys are two guys that it would be. It's tough to lose two of your best players in any way. So hopefully the Nationals get a great return, and maybe Kiebert Ruiz will turn out to be the next Salvador Perez at catcher, or maybe he won't. We'll see. Uh, speaking of uh, guys who are getting uh, returning to the big leagues, Chris Paddock made his return to the Padres with with the Padres tonight uh, against Arizona. So they gave him a pretty easy start in his first game from injured. Uh, he went 4.2 innings, gave up one run, five strikeouts. Good job for him. A uh, couple of COVID news. The Giants, uh, the Giants might be, this. the Giants might be about to collapse. I don't know about this, but the, Gi- the Braves shut them out 9-0 yesterday. The Giants now have placed Johnny Cueto and Alex Wood, two of their better starting pitchers, on the COVID list. And so now they're deciding who are they going to replace him with? Jose Quintana. Not the greatest decision ever, but, you know, they needed someone to fill in. So hopefully Cueto and Wood uh, recover quickly. But for now, Jose Quintana is going to be there instead. He was with the Angels earlier. He has not been that great this year. But, yeah, uh, Jose Quintana to the Giants. The Giants dealing with some COVID issues. Hopefully that doesn't turn into a full-on breakout. Noah Syndergaard on the Mets also has COVID. He has been rehabbing from his Tommy John surgery. And uh, hopefully... The COVID will not set him too back, and the Mets could really use him right now in the rotation. And speaking of Tommy John surgery, Kenta Maeda of the Twins, he suffered a season-ending injury, shoulder injury. He may also be going towards Tommy John surgery. Just terrible news to hear from a team that has been struggling so much already this year. The Twins, now to lose you know, your best starting pitcher, Kenta Maeda, that has got to hurt. Excuse me. For the Mariners, Kyle Seager hit his career-high 31st home run. Uh, the Pirates released Gregory Planco, the veteran outfielder. Interesting to see if he goes anywhere. David Boat on the Cubs has been injured. Uh, Zach Britton has also been injured for the Yankees. He's moved to the 60-day injured list. By the way, great Sunday Night Baseball game if you guys watched. One of the better Sunday Night Baseball games ever. The A's walked, not ever, but this season. The A's walked off the Yankees. Uh, big win. Uh, Tony Kemp hit, that, hit the game-winning home run. Uh, and then, yeah, the Yankees rivals the Red Sox. They have acquired Brad Peacock. At one point, he was a good reliever. Now he's pretty trash. Uh, he had a 7 ERA in AAA. So he is just not good. But uh, it'll be, I don't even know if the Red Sox are going to call him up. They shouldn't. He, if he, I mean, if you have a 7 ERA in AAA, you know you're a bad player. Uh, but Matt Barnes on the Red Sox does have COVID. So they maybe they'll call up Brad Peacock to replace him. I don't know. And the Pirates have fired their hitting coach. Um, that one, you know, that's a pretty obvious move. The Pirates have been the worst hitting team in the league this year outside of, like, two guys, uh, Adam Frazier, who's not on the team anymore, and Brian Reynolds. 
The Mariners have called up Jose Marmolejos, hit a dinger in his first game. Nice job for him. Uh, Marmolejos is probably going to be the MVP of AAA. He's been insane in AAA, was batting 360, so that now he's back to the big leagues, hit a home run in his first game. And uh, one other piece of news, kind of just a cool news, nothing not super important because the Orioles suck, but the Orioles, they have won just one game this year against the Rays. So that's, uh, I believe, their worst they've ever been against a division opponent. They were 1-18 and against Tampa this year. So Tampa Bay uh, has really gotten a lot of wins from Baltimore. Good job for them, obviously, being able to scrape off a bunch of wins against a terrible team. I wish the Mariners could figure out how to do that. But... Um, yeah, the Rays, like I said, they've been insane, and Wander Franco has been so good for them uh, with that 29-game on-base streak. So good job for the Rays. I mean, they are they are just – I don't know how they keep doing it. Last year they made the World Series. This year a lot of people thought they were going to kind of fall off a bit, but they're right back where they were last year. Uh, also in baseball, not major leagues, but Little League World Series. That one just wrapped up. Michigan is the winner. They beat Ohio 5-2. to two. Uh, So congratulations to Michigan for winning the Little League World Series. I watched quite a few games from it. I did not watch the finals, but I assume it was a pretty good finals. But the big story was Gavin Weir. So Gavin Weir, this 12-year-old pitcher, let me read you his stats because this kid was insane. Went 43 and two-thirds innings, five starts. Four of his five starts were no hitters. He allowed just one hit in five starts. How how crazy is that? Four no-hitters and one one one-hitter. So he was insane. He struck out 114 batters. He threw 609 pitches, didn't allow a single run. So Gavin Weir was, I mean, that is next-level dominant. That's a name that I think we're going to be hearing a little bit more, you know, maybe five or six years down the road when we're looking at the MLB draft from 2028. We'll see Gavin Weir's name in it. That kid was so good in the Little League World Series. But who knows, maybe he's going to get injured someday and just completely fall off. But maybe we'll see him in the majors. Uh, A little bit of news from golf because it was pretty cool. Patrick Cantlay and Bryson DeChambeau went six rounds in the playoffs yesterday for the BMW Cup. Patrick Cantlay won. He beat Bryson DeChambeau. Great game. DeChambeau's maybe the best golfer in the world right now. But Cantlay is actually the first to get three wins this year, so it's a nice job for him. That was an insane final. I watched the highlights from that one as well, and boy, they were just making everything going back and forth, back and forth. DeChambeau's a great personality too, so that's always fun to see. But yeah, Cantlay, DeChambeau, those, that was a great battle. And uh, nice job for Patrick Cantlay eking out that win. I would have thought DeChambeau could win because that, that guy's just so good. I mean, he just swings the club so pretty. But Patrick Cantlay... He's been on fire lately, and uh, he is really taking over the PGA Tour right now as he is leading the PGA Tour in majors wins this season. In the NBA, a little bit of news for the Lakers. The Lakers just continue to get veteran player after veteran player. They finally added Rajon Rondo after about two weeks of rumors. So now they have seven guys who at one point have been all NBA players. LeBron, AD, Russ, Rondo, Dwight Harris, Marcus Gasol, and Carmelo Anthony. I mean, that is... Those seven... If this was five years ago, the Lakers would easily be the best team in the league. Right now... I think they're close to being the best team. They might be. I mean, the Bucks obviously won the finals last year, but the Lakers are probably going to be the favorites to win it this year. I don't know, man. The the strategy of just going for a bunch of veterans, we're going to see. We're going to see this year. Does it work? Because clearly LeBron wants a more veteran team. 
obviously last year LeBron had a more much more of a younger team with him, you know, guys like Kuzma, some of those other younger guys, and he decided, you know what, we don't I don't like this. So they got rid of like five players, kept the veterans around, got Russell Westbrook, got Melo. Now they got uh excuse me, now they got Rondo as well. So they're just going for the strategy of be as old as possible, get a bunch of guys who used to be super good and can still play. I mean, it's not like Rondo and Gasol and Melo can't play. Obviously, they're not the same guys they were, but they're still going to be good. And, uh, yeah, I think the Lakers, it's going to be very intriguing to watch this because part of me thinks, yeah, this is clearly the best team. Look at the names. But part of me thinks, you know, but they're just they're just not young enough. They're just... They're gonna get tired. Like, like maybe they they might start off really good, but but they might not finish very strong. They might get t- or maybe they're gonna get injured. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. They're certainly gonna be in the playoffs, but it's hard for me to know. You know, is this a championship team, or is this just a veteran team that's gonna do pretty good? Maybe make a run at the start of the season, and then kind of fall off. We'll have to see. We'll have to say, uh, clear, obviously LeBron, Russell Westbrook, AD, those three are going to be great. The other four, though, are starting to get a little bit old, starting to get a little bit tired. I don't know. But yeah, the deal is I think $2.6 million, just one year for Rondo. So not a huge deal by any means, but still a good signing, I think. Uh, smart signing for them. Uh, the Trailblazers also adding Larry Nance Jr. Uh, that's just a depth move. Then uh, NHL, we got uh, Eli Tolvanen. He re-signed with the Predators three years. He was one of the better rookies last year, so uh, good job for him earning that contract. A little bit of other news, Evander Kane has accused his wife of being a husband beater, not one that you hear much in sports. Uh, If we get more updates on that situation, we will talk more in depth about it. I'm not really sure what the details are. All I know is that Evander Kane wants to take his wife to court. Obviously, Evander Kane, one of the good young players in the NHL as well. But yeah, um, that's an interesting one to see. And then we're running out of time. Let's just go through a little bit of personal sports news as well. Uh, German men have double medaled in Nordic combined skiing. Nice job for them. Junior Nordic skiing, though, Norway took took all of the medals. They won 14 medals and 7 golds. I believe there was only like 10 competitions, so Norway is dominating at skiing right now. Uh, they went into Finland and just crushed it there. In wheelchair rugby, Britain has beat the United States 54-49 to to claim their first gold medal in wheelchair rugby history. Uh, that's in the Paralympics, obviously, down in Tokyo. Unfortunately, the USA has to settle for silver, but the USA has been on a roll in other places. They set the record for the uh, discus throwing, 34.89 meters from Jesse Heems for women's, and uh, here's a piece, here's an insane, crazy stat line that I saw. The USA U16 girls basketball team, they went up against Mexico in an international game. They beat Mexico by 91 points. That must that must be one of the biggest blowouts in basketball history. Ninety one, the United States is so high, much so much higher above the competition, especially at a youth level in basketball right now. They beat Mexico by ninety one. That is crazy. So good job to the U sixteen girls basketball team for that one. Because, I mean, how how many points did Mexico score? How many, like. I want to. I don't want to say. I don't know what the final score was, but they won by ninety-one. So clearly, they scored a lot of points, and Mexico did not score all that many. 
So that's going to wrap up the podcast for the day. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you uh, leave a like, leave a comment, subscribe down below. This has been Beyond the Game Episode 2. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the World of Sports podcast. It has been a while uh, since we've done one of these. We've been focusing more on the YouTube channel lately, but we're gonna we're gonna jump into some podcasting now uh, as we move into the later part of the NFL season, and uh, that is what we're gonna be talking about today. So the NFL, you know, there's there's been a lot of people, I think, um, especially you know people who aren't as educated uh, as far as football goes. A lot of people though saying that this it's it has been a really crazy NFL this year. I mean, gosh, look at all the upsets. Look look at the blowouts, and you know. It's so unpredictable. You know, that's that's kind of been um, the common the common saying is that the oh well the NFL it's 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 so unpredictable this year. Nobody 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 knows what's gonna happen. And I think that's true on a week by week basis. Um, for for instance, you know, look at the look at the games last week. Dolphins Dolphins beat the Ravens. You know, the Giants uh, beating. Who they beat? They beat the, the Giants. Beat the Raiders. The Washington Football Team beat the Bucks. So, you know, there's a lot of upsets every week. And I, but I think there's, I think you can, there's reasons why. I think part of it is that a lot of these good teams, uh, these good young teams, like you know, for instance, the Bills, um, the Bengals, the Chargers. Especially, uh, the Chargers certainly fall into this category. Uh, the Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury, uh, even the Packers. A lot of these good young teams have young coaches as well, and so every so often you're going to get a time when a young coach with a great team goes up against a veteran coach with an average team, such as a Mike Tomlin, who has a terrible Steelers team at five and three. Or uh, you know, uh, let's think of some other examples to, to fit into this. I mean, there's not a ton of other examples really because Pete Carroll's Seahawks are terrible. Bill Belichick seems to have figured the Patriots out. Um, or, or here's another example, like Mike Zimmer on the Vikings, you know, some of these veteran coaches with kind of below average teams, they can pull off the upsets every once in a while because these good young coaches on these good young teams, I think they get a little too full of themselves. And I think that's a part of it. But I also think part of it is just that you know, the NFL is so player dominated now. It's much less of a, which team is the best. And it's much more of a, which player is the best. And I think, you know, right now in the NFL, if if your team's five or six best players aren't gelling, it's going to be tough to win the game, no matter how good the rest of the team is, you know? And that's kind of just how it's become. And there are still some teams that win as a team, but most teams now win as players. Uh, they win behind their stars, and they lose because of their stars, right? That's pretty much what the NFL has, has turned into, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that can also be a partial... Uh, partially part of the reason why it's so unpredictable on a week by week basis of which which who's going to win and who's going to lose because early in the season when all the stars are playing well it's the same teams every single week they win they win they win and then you know the stars but then they, the players start to get tired you know uh, and if if your quarterback's getting injured as far as the Cardinals uh, that's been their situation the Packers lost Aaron Rodgers to COVID you know things happen and then you start to drop games because you're so star-reliant. And, you know, that's one of the things that really sets the Titans apart for me is that they're not star-reliant. 
they are winning as a team. And you know, as much as as much as I hate them, the Steelers the same way. The Steelers win as a team when they do win. They are not relying on any real stars uh, except for T.J. Watt. But other than him, I mean, this is they they win together. And the same goes with New England. New England wins together. That's my main. That's my biggest worry about most of these NFC teams. The Rams are just so finesse with you know their offense is just you know. Their offense is so reliant upon three players, uh, which is Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford, and Robert Woods, who's now out for the season. You know, I don't know how much how, they need OBJ to fill that role and quickly. Same goes with the Cowboys. You know, their offense is so reliant upon Zeke, Dak, Amari, and CD Lamb. I mean, what? Uh, their O-line has gotten worse right now. They're still winning games, but we saw what happened when Dak and Zeke have bad football games. That that was against the Broncos. They didn't stand a chance. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of what we're seeing in the NFL, I think, is that teams are now much more heavily reliant upon using, using their stars to finesse the other team's stars. And, and it's much less about scheme, and it's much less about coaching, and it's much less uh, about how good the the. the team is because the backups don't play as much anymore you know uh, the schemes don't really matter as much even the coaching doesn't really matter as much I know I, I know I did mention coaching as a reason so there's there's a lot of reasons though why the NFL is becoming so unpredictable on a weekly basis but I think we're losing focus of the main point which is that yeah the NFL is unpredictable on a weekly basis but as a season, as the season goes, it's more predictable than ever. I mean, look at look at today who's in the playoffs. Look at the NFC. Cardinals, everyone, uh, not everyone picked the Cardinals. A lot of, about half the country picked the Cardinals to make the playoffs. I did. Cardinals are in. Rams are in. Everybody thought they'd be in it. The Bucks are in. Everyone thought the Bucks. The Cowboys are in. Most people thought the Cowboys would be a playoff team. I think people underrated them as a playoff team, but most people had them winning the division than they are. And the Packers. So, you know, five out of those seven playoff teams are pretty much teams that everybody expected. Four of them everyone expected. The Cardinals, most people did. The only ones I'm the only ones I'm the only ones I missed on was Carolina and New Orleans. I I went with San Francisco and Seattle. Clearly I missed on Seattle. San Francisco's only half a game out. They could still easily make it. And New Orleans, who I had finishing a game back, uh, and it looks like they might be beginning to struggle without uh, without Jameis Winston, but it, it looks like, for the most part, I only slightly underrated the Saints at the beginning of the season, and I slightly overrated the Niners, but, you know, it's not terrible, you know, that's not terrible, I, I feel like it did pretty well overall for the NFC, and look at the AFC, who's in the playoffs in the AFC, the Chiefs, everyone picked that, Chargers, most people, including myself, Bills, everybody picked. The Titans, everybody picked. The Ravens, everybody picked. So again, it's really only up to the, those last two teams. Uh, I missed on the, those two wildcard teams, right? Steelers and Patriots. I had the Dolphins, who I'll admit, I, I I pretty vastly overrated the Dolphins. I thought they would win their division. Clearly, I missed on them. But, you know, besides the Dolphins, uh, my other playoff pick was, uh, was the Browns, and the Browns are only a half a game behind. Uh, they're only a half a game behind both. Well, actually, I guess they're a full game behind the Steelers, but they're only a half a game behind the Chargers, so they're, they're still right in the mix. And, you know, before the season, I had the Steelers finishing a game behind the Browns. So, really, I'm not too mad about that pick either. That could have gone either way. It's really So, it's really just two teams that I truly missed on was the Dolphins and the Seahawks. And the only teams that I'm honestly surprised uh, are in the playoffs right now 
is is Carolina because I was shocked about Carolina, and I'm I'm more or less surprised that New England has has worked so well so quickly. I thought they would not get hot till the end of the season. They got hot pretty early on and haven't really cooled off yet. So you know, in re- in reality, though, I feel like the NFL as a season has gone has been very predictable, and not only for the playoffs. I mean. Look at who's in the MVP race. Who's who are the top two MVP candidates right now? Oh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. What a shocker! What a, I told you, I told you before the season, who are the top two quarterbacks? Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. Who are the top two court? Who are the, who is in the MVP race? Who's currently leading the MVP race right now? Oh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. What a what a shocker! Who did I say is going to be the future of the NFL at the quarterback position? I said Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert. Who's in the MVP race? Kyler Murray was, but until he got injured. Justin Herbert, until last week, he was in the MVP race as well. I don't think he is right at this moment because he got shut down by the Vikings, and they're, they have a pretty average defense. They shut him down pretty well. So at right now, he's not, but he was for a good while. Who did I say was my favorite dark horse pick to win the MVP? Dak Prescott. Who's in the MVP race? Oh, Dak Prescott, number one rated, fo- number one rated uh, quarterback by Pro Football Reference. Who did the media, who did everybody else in the media say was going to be an MVP candidate? I didn't say, so I'll admit I missed on Stafford, but the entire rest of the media were correct. Stafford's an MVP candidate. So everyone you'd expect is an MVP candidate. Lamar's having a resurgence. Who said he'd have a resurgence? I certainly did. Uh, I I was a little bit off on Josh Allen. I, I didn't expect him to be as good. I think he's done better than I thought this year. The only big miss, though, is Russell Wilson not being an MVP candidate, and that's because he got injured. So, I mean, really, what can you what can you really say? The NFL, on a week-by-week basis, incredibly difficult to predict. As a season, easier than ever. I mean, it's easier than ever. There, and, and considering that a lot of people did predict the Panthers and the Patriots to be playoff teams, there's really not a whole lot of shockers right now. I mean... The Bengals look like they could shock everybody early, but now they're falling back into the hunt. So, at this stage in the NFL, it is truly, it is truly the most predictable sport. Baseball, very unpredictable, very wild. Not only on any given night, but in the season. I mean, this year, the Braves winning the Super, the Braves winning the World Series. That was incredibly shocking, but. Even look at the playoff teams and who did and didn't make it. I mean, the Giants in the playoffs, nobody picked that. Uh, most people thought that Milwaukee was falling off a cliff. Most people thought the Cardinals were the best team in their division. Cardinals had to rely on a 17-game winning streak at the end of the season just to make the wild card. Uh, meanwhile, Brewers win their division easy. Uh, the Padres, by the way, missing the playoffs. Shocker. So, I mean, the, the MLB has become very very unpredictable the NBA even is becoming unpredictable has become more unpredictable especially especially right now I mean most of these great teams Lakers barely over 500 Bucks are under 500 uh Warriors best team in the league I mean it's it's crazy how the NBA season is playing out right now but in the NFL things are just as predictable as ever because in the end we know who the best players are we know who the best coaches are we know where the best teams are. It's not that hard to predict. It's really not. And you know what? What I have been what I have been completely ruined for saying the Panthers or the Patriots would be wildcard teams this year. I don't think I would have. 
I don't think so. Really, my two the two teams that I didn't really expect was the, the Panthers and the Patriots. Those are the only two non-contenders that are currently in the playoffs, and the only two teams that aren't contending that I thought would be in the playoffs are the Dolphins, who was which was a controversial pick, I'll admit, because I think I really really overhyped Tua, and I really really overhyped Brian Flores, and I really really overhyped their defense, and the Seahawks, who at this point I think it's well. Uh, it's hard to blame it on injuries at this point. So I'll I'll say I missed on I missed on two teams, neither of which one of which was controversial. So, so it's really Seattle's the only the only team that everybody missed on. Everybody missed on Seattle. Pe- and now people are trying to people are trying to cover it up. But it, everybody knows we all missed on Seattle. It, that's fine. That happens sometimes. But that's one team. The MLB. There's about three teams that everybody thought was going to be in the playoffs and didn't. There's about three teams, three or four teams that nobody really saw this one coming. Giants, Cardinals, Brewers, Cardinals win 17. Braves win. Braves win the World Series at with 88 wins. Nobody saw that. Nobody saw any of those things coming. MLB completely shocking. NFL very very calm. Very very week by week. Nobody knows what's gonna happen. Don't bet on the NFL short term. Bet on the long term. Let's talk about the MVP race for a second, by the way, in the in the uh, NFL. It's a wide open race. I'm going to be honest. I think there's about nine guys who, who have a legitimate shot at it. And the problem is none of them really have momentum right now. I mean, think about it. Out of, out of all the MVP candidates, five of them lost last week. Half of them, half of the MVP candidates lost last week. Three of them have lost two in a row, right? Brady's lost two in a row. He's still, I think, the best quarterback right now in the NFL, but he's lost two in a row. Stafford lost two in a row. And Derek Carr, who a lot of people thought was going to... He was climbing into the MVP race. Suddenly, he's lost two in a row without his coach. And not to mention, Lamar lost last week and looked terrible. So he's definitely trending downwards. Um... And, and Justin Herbert lost last week. Not only that, Herbert's lost three out of four. Lamar's lost two out of his last three. So they are both trending down as well. So you've got five MVP candidates that are trending down. How about the rest of them? Well, Aaron Rodgers won, but he played bad, and he's coming off of a COVID controversy. That's not going to help his case. And who else won? Well, Dak Prescott won, but that's after getting killed by the Broncos and being injured and having a bye, so he doesn't really have a ton of momentum. The Falcons game is going to help him with momentum, but as of now, he doesn't have a ton of momentum. Um, and then you've got... Then you've got... <clears throat> excuse me, now I'm forgetting. Well, then you got Kyler Murray, he's injured. Um, lost the last two. Josh Allen, who did win a blowout last week, but he's also very inconsistent. Very inconsistent because Allen will have one great game and one bad game, and then it's Mahomes, who started off, who started off great, went through about four weeks of playing very very bad football, and now seems to have regained his form. So, I think there's ten guys legitimately who have a shot still at the MVP. I don't know, maybe maybe take Derek Carr out of there, and maybe you could, but you can honestly replace him with Ryan Tannehill because Tannehill's won six in a row playing very mediocre football, but his team is really good. So that could that could get him in the conversation as well. So I mean there's really about you could even say yeah, you could say about there's about eleven guys right now who still have a shot at winning that MVP award. And none of them really have a ton of momentum because 
Tannehill, as good as his team is, is very, very much an average player. He's he's very much he's a mediocre. He's he's been he's been better than average this year, but he, he's pretty much been mediocre. He plays mediocre in his in the games, and they win. Um, like I said, Brady's lost all his momentum. Uh, Dak and Josh Allen both won blowouts, but neither I think Dak would I could I, I will I'll give Dak some momentum right now, but I don't think he has as much as the quarterback who's won three in a row. The quarterback who, for a while, people were bashing. But he's won three in a row. Seems to have regained his form. He won the MVP before. Been in the Super Bowl twice. Patrick Mahomes right now. He's not the best quarterback in the NFL. That goes to Brady. And I think probably number two is Stafford at this point. But it's close. But Brady and Stafford are trending down. And who's trending up? It's Patrick Mahomes. I think I think Patrick Mahomes has a very very good chance right now of being the NFL MVP for his second time in his in his career. Wouldn't be a shocker, and I think the Chiefs we're gonna see him against the Cowboys this week. But I love the Chiefs in that game. I think the Chiefs are gonna make a run here. They're gonna they're not gonna lose many more. They might lose only one more game all season. I think the Chiefs could be could be going to a Super Bowl. They looked damn good against the Raiders. And everybody, and the people who don't like the Chiefs are saying, well, well, it was against the Raiders. The Raiders lose all the time. Oh, an interim head coach. Oh, it's Derek Carr. It's, it's the def- their defense isn't good. I don't really want to hear it. Because two weeks ago, we were talking about the Raiders as the number two seed in the AFC. We were talking about the Raiders as potentially breaking out, we were talking about their defense as being not too bad, and we were talking about Derek Carr as an MVP candidate. So I don't really want to hear the, oh, it was against the Raiders. Because two weeks ago, we all acknowledged the Raiders are good. So I don't, I think that was a very, very impressive win for the Chiefs. And as much as I wish that they weren't the best team in the NFL, right now I think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes is going to be the MVP.